Welcome to In Between, where you'll hear stories, conversations, and hard-earned wisdom to help you navigate the space that lies in between where you are and where you're going. I'm Heather Ashley Baker. If you've ever struggled with finding time or space in your everyday life to create or work on a creative project, well, you're not alone. You might find that the constraints of your job or your family or your social life or whatever you've got going on, just take your time and your energy and you're not left with much to dedicate to your creative work. If that's you, then I have got something for you. I've created a free audio guide that gives you five simple actions you can take right now to embrace your everyday constraints and start taking the first steps toward making your dream a reality. Head over to my website, heatherashleybaker.com slash start dash here to download the guide. And if you've got that dream and you find that you've spent months or even years and you're getting stuck or trying the same things over and over, then my one-day intensive might be for you. In my one-day intensive, I help you create a map to make your dream into reality and work with you to define the first crucial steps to take action and start making it happen. You'll find more information and a link to book a chat with me to learn more on my website, heatherashleybaker.com. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Last year during the COVID lockdown, I spent a lot of time watching documentaries about the earth. And more than ever before in my life, I became aware of the gap that exists in the way we as humans look after the environment. We're so far from where we want to be, where we should be in terms of awareness and action. And yet we are still taking so many big steps forward. I've wanted to bring a guest on the show to talk about this topic since before I even launched this podcast, and today I'm thrilled to talk to Brandy Heidi Montague, founder of Four Animals for Earth, a resource hub of simple ideas that anyone can try in their daily life to make a difference. Brandy has been passionate about helping animals since she declared herself a vegetarian at three years old. She's taken part in various animal welfare projects as an industrial engineer, a graphic designer, and a community advocate. She started an eco-conscious clothing line in 2016 to help animal interest groups, and through that, she discovered a second passion, saving the earth, which led her to start Four Animals for Earth. She hand-paints the clothing sold in their Etsy shop and hosts a podcast called Four Animals for Earth, where she interviews creators and activists all over the world who are making a difference. In this episode, Brandy and I discuss her path to environmental activism, simple things we can all do on a daily basis to make a difference, and finding creative ways to help the earth. I had so much fun recording this conversation with Brandy, and I know you're going to love it. Here's my conversation with Brandy Heidi Montague. Hey, Brandy. Welcome. So excited to have you. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. I can't wait for our conversation. Me too. I'm so excited because I have long wanted to have somebody on the show to talk about the environment and advocacy and conservation, all that stuff. And I'm so pumped because that's you and we're going to have, we're going to talk about all things 
environmentally related today. And I'm so excited to hear about your experience. So let's dive in. So talk about what you do and how you got into this work in the first place. Yeah. Well, what I do right now is uh, run For Animals for Earth, which is a resource hub full of simple ideas for people who are looking for a way to make a difference for animals in the environment and want to find something that could speak to them and their lives. I spend most of my time podcasting. We have a podcast called For Animals for Earth, and then we also have a blog and an Etsy shop. So that's that's kind of what I do right now. In terms of getting here, um, you know, it, it's a long story, of course. Um, but I would say I feel like my life has kind of been dotted with looking for ways to help animals since I was very young. My first memory of seeing an animal in need was when I was three. I was on my grandparents' farm and they were loading the pigs into the truck um, to take them off, um, off. And they were branding them as they were loading them on. And I was traumatized. I mean, I, st- you know, you, I don't think you typically have memories at three years old, but I can still remember it so clearly. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I marched around at that point saying, you know, I'll never eat meat again and, you know, tried to declare myself a vegetarian when I was three. My parents um, did not allow that to happen. I, I grew up kind of with the, you will eat 10 pieces of meat every night. And there were nights I was still there at like 11 p.m. at the table trying to choke down my <laughs> pieces of meat. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That <laughs> sounds that like, funny? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I can um, relate to that. <laughs> I, I, uh, I credit them for my health. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's um, I had no idea what that even meant. So I fully became a vegetarian when I was 19. And that was, you know, it's funny. I always thought vegetarians were just kind of these like weird tree hugger people. You know, I grew up in the country in Indiana, like farmland, you know, really vegetarian. What? So I once I was old enough to understand, oh, I can eat like full meals that are called vegetarian meals instead of just eating the french fries or the macaroni and cheese or whatever, you know, off the side order, side item menu of every restaurant. So, so that's when I actually became a vegetarian, but you know, my in my 20s, I did different projects to help animals and there was really kind of a bit of a turning point when I was about 30, I met my husband and he got a work assignment in Tokyo. And so we had the chance to move to Japan. And for me to do that, I needed to quit my job. And so I had all those feelings I think probably anyone could relate to between leaving the career that I had been building for myself for so many years, but also feeling like, oh, wow, I have this chance to help animals and this is what I've been wanting to do my whole life and for whatever reason had not found my way to it. And so in Tokyo, I quickly found that it wasn't as easy to go volunteer to help at a local shelter or to help animals as it was in the United States. There was a obvious language barrier when I first moved there, and I would say therefore a trust barrier as well. So over time, after about a year and a half, I'm not sure if I have my timing exactly right, but we had the earthquake and the tsunami. So that was in 2011 that I was there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a um, 
a very interesting time because everything came about came to be about emergency and rescue. And that was when I happened to be walking down the street and I saw a rally where everyone was holding up signs. This was in May, so two months after the tsunami. And everybody at this rally, probably about 100 people, they're all holding up signs saying, you know, free the animals, let us go in. And it was all about the uh, radiation zone around Fukushima where the animals had been left behind. And so I stopped in to kind of ask what was going on, ended up in the march, like holding the flag at the front and marched you know, down the street in this protest for about an hour. And that kind of dumped me into animal welfare there in Japan. And that was, I guess, roughly, well, how many years ago? Was that about 10 years ago, I guess? Is that right? I might be getting my dates wrong, but Anyway, I I ended up then connecting with a lot of people while we lived there and starting um, kind of a community group there that helped bridge that gap between all of the shelters and the rescues that truly did need help. And so many foreigners moving into the city with time and capacity and wanting to help. But there was just um, there was a gap there. So this organization, it was called Animal Walk Tokyo, and we would do fundraising and we would help people connect um, to get in and volunteer. And then we moved to Los Angeles from there. As the story goes, I learned with that group in Tokyo that I would love to build something that had an income stream that would be more sustainable than just fully community volunteer-based. And I started a clothing line to help animal welfare groups around the world, and we just donated with each piece. And that introduced me to the earth. So that was just maybe six years ago that I even noticed the link between wanting to help animals and needing to save the environment. It it just never occurred to me before that, I don't think. And I was choosing clothing to print on and I thought, well, wait a minute, we're we're doing this campaign to help whales, but then the, the factories are like polluting into the ocean and the two things just didn't work for me. And so I ended up diving into fashion and clothing and learning a lot more about that. And that's what introduced me to wanting to um, do more for the environment. And then, you know, I continue to be on my journey of figuring out what is the best way for me to help. And that's what became For Animals for Earth, because as I learn and I'm on my journey and I get to hear people's stories and interview them. I want to share them with everybody else so that we can all learn together and, you know, be on this journey together. So love it. I think it's great because as you're saying, it is a it is a journey and we're all on it and we're all learning if we're willing to learn and we're willing. I mean, like so many things, obviously, in our in our world today and in our society today, just having that attitude of of learning and growth is so important and in what we can actually do like what what how we can play our part and and like you said there's so many there are so many links like so many connections to our everyday behaviors that we don't even realize are impacting the environment in a negative way your story shows that you came to that realization after a while and you're like now you're like okay I'm willing to do something about mm-hmm. it Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because something that I've also found in myself is that 
we're constantly making a difference, whether we realize it or not, and it's good or bad. <laughs> but the reality is that that everything we do is already making a difference. So if there's ways to simply make a little tweak to that, that makes it a little bit better of a difference, then why not? So yeah, that's kind of something that I often find myself reminding myself in a decision point or in a decision time, like, okay, if there's a little bit of a different way to do this, why not? Why not? not? Yeah, exactly right. Okay. So along those lines about trying simple things, I love that because for me, last year during COVID and during the lockdown, I... I had a very similar, not similar journey, I guess, as you, but similar in the sense of I started to realize how many of my everyday behaviors really affected the environment and how many simple things I could actually do that would make a big difference. And when I started to realize that, it was just so so eye-opening. And you can't, once you, once you know that, you can't unknow that, you know? And I spent all this time during lockdown watching environmental documentaries and learning about more about Antarctica and I love whales I've always just been totally obsessed with whales and nature and learning about the oceans and how there's so much plastic in the just like you it's like you know like people tell you this stuff right like oh yeah you know there's plastic in the oceans and then you start to actually understand the balance of it and how connected, like you were saying, your realization with like the pollution, the factories and going to the ocean, you start to realize, oh, like my waste or my food waste or my rubbish or my whatever, how much it actually affects the ocean, the environment. You can't unknow that you have to do something. Well, I guess you don't have to do something, but I had to do something. <laughs> yeah. You had to do mm-hmm. something. Yeah. You know, I mean, documentaries, um, I'm thinking a couple of things from what you said, but documentaries, number one, are so powerful because they take, you know, like you said, we've heard these things and you even hear the statistics and they're shocking, but they don't hit you on like the cellular level like it does watching a documentary. And I, I, I get really excited by documentaries because I feel like those are perhaps the most powerful like change agent there is out there. One resource that I could quickly share, because I don't know if you've heard of this before. Have you heard of Water Bear? So you may like this. This is a free resource to watch documentaries. You just sign up and you give them, you know, your email. Um, But then you can watch all of these independent documentaries about so many different subjects and it's um it's just really amazing to kind of be like okay I'm gonna to learn more because like you said once you learn it then you have that drive inside to do something right and so um that's just a resource that I have just really been excited about and I kind of for myself I gave myself I don't know if you have to do this I I thought about this when you were saying it but I have to give myself a cutoff because the problem is I start watching documentaries and I fall like deep, 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 deep down in this like black hole of impossibility. We're all doomed. (laughs) And I have to give myself parameters and say, okay, like one per month or maximum two per month. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. It's so, and I I watched, I went through a phase actually uh, during lockdown, I watched heaps like I was I was watching several a week and there's one about coral 
on Netflix. I think it's called Chasing Coral. I actually cried. Like I le- I legitimately cried. And and I mean I'm in I'm in Australia and where I mean there's reefs everywhere around the world, but you know a lot of it I think they actually did film a chunk of it here in the Great Barrier Reef up north and oh my gosh, is it ever so sad. So so sad. And they filmed the coral bleaching event over a period of time. And I don't, there's just something about it. And, and you're on this journey with these filmmakers and they're setting up cameras and they're you actually seeing the reef change and like die in front of you. Oh my word. I was like, oh, what can I do? I mean, I, there's got to be something, right? And yeah, and I think you, you do go down. I was doing all this research. I'm like, okay, there's got to be things and like, like some some small little thing that I can do right now or you know like I think you do start to feel kind of helpless like you're saying right oh it's all is it all doom and gloom like what's what what's in my power to do right mm. yeah yeah absolutely and you know that's honestly what you just described is why I ended up starting for animals for earth because I find that a lot of times I learn about the problems you know and you especially see it with animal welfare and i mean it does reduce you to tears and you're just like what can i do and um and then it becomes hours and hours of research trying to find what you can do and so that's you know that's been a lot of my goal is to just keep capturing everything that I learn, everything that I hear, other things that people are willing to share in one place so that we can all kind of say, okay, I want to do something. Let me go find something that works in my life um, and and try to cut through um, all the time and and heartache it takes to, to try to get there, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so good as well, because you, you're right. There's so many resources out there. Like we're not really short on information, but it is sometimes really hard to find the right information or to find something that actually feels very doable, tangible. In a lot of ways, it is a lifestyle change or a mindset change, like a shift that you have to make, you know, and it doesn't have to be difficult, but it is very intentional, very mindful. And sometimes I think it's hard to find, I know I've struggled to find resources in my research. I'm like, well, okay, the things you're suggesting are great, but I don't actually have the means or the ability to do a full worm compost bin thing in like little apartment in Melbourne or whatever. Like if I wanted to compost, what is another solution? Or I was researching, I was going to write the council to try to get a waste bin or like a green waste. I know there's all these things and I'm like, okay, it has to be easier than this. Like, what have you found? What are some some just really simple things that people can do to help care for the environment. Yeah. Well, I like to, for me, and maybe this is just because of my like organization in my brain, but I kind of bucket them into different areas of my lifestyle. And so I look a lot at like fashion, which I think is probably the biggest one that we've all seen. And there's a there's something called the fashion revolution. If people don't know anything about kind of how fashion impacts the environment, fashion revolution is a really, really great way to to learn. But yeah, it's like, how do you take that then and make it into something that I could do in my daily life? And so on the fashion side, trading clothing with friends is like a huge one. And sometimes, I don't know, I've been in different friend groups where that's just something that people commonly do. And then other times where it's not, but that's, that's a very easy way to say, okay, I'm going to try to keep this clothing circular 
instead of going on to the landfill. There's obviously also secondhand is another huge movement that just keeps growing and growing, right? We can sell our things. We can buy things that are not brand new, but remade. And obviously there's a lot we can do to just make our clothes last longer, wash them less, mend little holes, you know, repair things with patches, things like that. So that's kind of the fashion space. I also look at food. So with food, one of the big things we always hear is eat vegan, eat vegan, but vegan has many layers to it and a lot of processed <laughs> food to it as well, you know, but there are, there's many reasons that, that veganism helps. So if it's just one meal a week that you try and, and just saying, okay, I'm going to try to make this one meal plant-based and see how it goes. And and maybe it's maybe forever you do it one day a week, but it's something. There's other areas like home goods and beauty and and your pets, volunteering, things like that. What we try to do with Four Animals for Earth is say there's we are holistic people that are like whole bodies, whole people that live in drastically different circumstances from one to the other. And so what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another, but in order for us, um, anyone who feels that pull to want to do something, to not burn out quickly from defeat, it's like you just pick one of those areas in your life. Is it food? Is it fashion? Is it home goods? Is it going out and volunteering, like whatever it is that that speaks to you and pulls you, just pick one thing, just one thing to try. And most likely you find something that works, right? And then that creates the snowball, which you were describing, which becomes your conscious lifestyle. And, and over time, you find that you're catching yourself more and more, at least this is what I've found. I'm catching myself more and more in decisions and saying, oh, this might be an opportunity to find a different option. And then I research and I hit Pinterest and I, you know, I try to find an answer. And then I try to make sure I put it into a blog post so that we have it for anyone who might come across that next. But I do think we get the ball rolling just by finding something that, that actually is realistic for us to do. Mm, That is so good. I think that's a great piece of wisdom because it is, as we've talked about, so easy to get overwhelmed by all of the change that needs to happen and all the the things that we see around us that need to be fixed. And you're right, like we are only human and I love that you said that we're holistic people and we, everyone has such different lives and different situations. Cause I I know for me last year, I was watching these things and feeling overwhelmed and like trying to do all this research. Like, what can I, what can I do? Like, I've got to change everything. I was like making a list. I need to buy different kinds of meat. I need to figure out what to do with my food waste. Like it's a lot of stuff. And then I started realizing some of it's a bit of a, can be a bit of like a financial commitment as well. So I think that's a really great, ideas that you pick one area that you feel really (laughs) passionate about to start with and go and then you're right you start to become more conscious like okay actually this is an opportunity to make a different decision or maybe I can buy different packaging or buy something that's got better is made with better sourced with the right kind of ethical ingredients or whatever the case is you start becoming more and more aware I think that's such a great approach to it Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah I definitely think you do and I think that that helps a lot with 
avoiding the overwhelm. I mean, I think that yeah. um, it's impossible to totally avoid the overwhelm because it, it is the reality <laughs> of the, you know, yeah. the situation we're in with what's happening right now. But I also often imagine like if you're doing something, I'm doing something, my neighbor's doing something, mm -hmm. my mom's doing something. If we're all doing something and we're all like starting our snowballs, yes. then it really does make a difference because I also have seen just over the, the years of what happens is that then people who are doing something happen to be in decision-making seats. And so then those people are aware of, oh, let's think about this green space as we're building this place in the city, or let's think about what this does to displace these animals or, you know, whatever. There's, there's thousands of different things to be thought about. And um, I think that that inspires me just thinking about that kind of everybody starting to do their own little things. And even though when we're by ourselves and we're thinking, I'm not making a big enough difference, this one thing isn't enough. The reality is if we're all doing it, that's 10 times better than me sitting here and doing everything perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Do, or doing everything, thinking you have to do everything perfectly or getting so discouraged to the point like on the flip side where you're just like, well, I'm not going to do anything at all because what can I even do? One of the things that I found that I think has been huge, I don't know if you do this in the U.S. because now I haven't been in the U.S. for so many years, but I realized last year during COVID that apparently you can recycle soft plastics. You can't put them in your recycling, your general recycling bin, but you can bring them back to your local grocery store and they collect them. And here on the packaging, a lot of the packaging here in Australia now, they've started putting little labels that say, this is bring back to store and or they put a little trash bin if you can't bring it back to the store and you have to throw it out and so I actually just started collecting all of my soft plastics bringing them to the grocery store with me every single week and a lot of people that's like a very very simple thing that's pretty easy to do really you just have to remember to either check the packaging or just keep it from before you throw it in the trash and bring it back to the store like a lot of people don't actually realize that that's something you can do and I don't know do do you have that similar kinds of programs in the U.S. have they and they also have banned past plastic bags here in Australia I think in most states if not all plastic bag use in stores are, is banned and you actually have to pay 15 cents to buy a recycled plastic bag or you have to bring your own reusable bags which is great and it was like a pain at first but everyone's used to it now and it's so great, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's what it's like in the U.S., how how the U.S. is doing on that front. But <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny because it seems like in general, Australia does better. I don't know if that's for sure. Um, but I'm also in California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't we won't go into it's, the politics you know, of, of it now, but I think there's probably things happening on a larger level that Australia it's a bit sad, mm. but anyway, we'll just leave it at that. But mm. yes, you're in you're in California, <laughs> so it's yeah. Yeah, so it's I'm also in a bit of a bubble, right? Because it's California is a certain way. The grocery bag thing happened here a few years ago as well. And I mean, how brilliant, you know? It's like, sure, it was difficult um, at first and you maybe had to spend a little extra money, you know, but it, what a what an awesome, like, I just feel like such an amazing thing. Of course, there there's disagreement with that, but I just really think that's amazing. It has been hard with COVID because um, they've kind of gone backwards a little bit, but I know that we'll come back out of that back to reusable bags. 
As far as recycling, yeah, you know, it's that's a subject that I've actually been wanting to learn a lot more about, and I'm actually looking for someone to come on my podcast to talk about it because it's there's so many layers to it. But I think with um, there's so many layers to it, and what is feasible is very heavily dependent on where you live, at least in the United States. That being yes. said, uh, I do feel like I'm seeing more and more smaller programs kind of pop up. Like an example, Nespresso. Do you know Nespresso that makes the um, mm. espresso? <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. The, the pot. The, 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 the pot. scary yeah, pods. The pods. Yeah, the coffee pods. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, <laughs> and we have a Nespresso machine and we've been trying to figure out alternatives. And I happen to have to drink decaf espresso. I can't have caffeine. So I – decaf espresso has a lot of stories behind it of chemicals that are used to decaffeinate. So you have to find a brand that is decaffeinated in a natural way. And then you're looking for packaging that is, you know, some sort of zero waste or something. And I just learned last week that Nespresso, they take all the pods back and they take them back. They split the coffee. They recycle the metal. And that was just like a little one for me that, sure, it probably took me like an hour to find that information, but I really took the time to start digging and trying to find another solution. And then I was like, oh, cool. Nespresso's doing this. They they do it in different parts around the world that I saw. And they provide the way to collect it and bring it back. So like I said, I feel like there's a lot more that I want to learn about recycling, but I do think that it's really neat that we're seeing more and more brands either take back their own stuff or even the cities working on initiatives to be able to take things back as well. It's it's exciting. It's exciting because you feel like the more you see that, the more options there are going to be. And obviously, trash is such a big part of this problem. Yeah, it breaks my heart actually. I was I was just at the lake that's near my house the other day and I'm I'm sitting on a bench and looking over the edge and there's just piles of trash and plastic and people's drink bottles and McDonald's packaging and I was like, "Oh, this is I'm going to get a bag and some gloves and come back here and that's a thing." <laughs> then I'm like, "Oh, I don't want to pick it up in COVID aid. Well, you probably COVID or not. It's kind of weird to just pick up someone else's trash without any rubber gloves but it just it just breaks my heart that that's the case and there's actually it's it's really I feel like it's really not that difficult you know like it, it it's not that difficult right like for people to just <laughs> put, the, put their trash and it, it just it's just like it's this never-ending struggle yeah you know it is it's something I've often wondered as well I'm like why isn't it making it to the trash can I don't know if some things blow or things like that but I also think I mean I've also just seen many a time where things are just I've seen many a time where things are tossed near the trash can <laughs> but not in it you know something we we do here um there's the LA River is really close to my house and there's a group called the Friends of LA River and they do a yearly cleanup and um, the year before COVID so what would that be 2019 it was amazing thousands of people were there picking up trash and we went and we took the kids and we all had on our like big sturdy gloves you know because you're you are a little bit kind of like okay I don't want to touch this stuff Um, but it was so funny how much fun we had and the kids it became like a 
treasure hunt? I'm not even kidding you. So we got there a little bit late. So all of the big obvious pieces were taken. And so it was like a treasure hunt looking for pieces of trash that were left to pick up and put in our bags. And I cannot believe how much fun we had. And it's so funny because it would have never occurred to me that I would be able to get over the hump of being like scared and just like ew about picking up trash and then we ended up having a blast and so we're kind of looking forward to that event again but they do it here once a year but um there are a lot of like community cleanups that happen sometimes um that I do think are really exciting when you see it happen. Another kind of fun story, we had a lady on that was that we interviewed on our Instagram live and she has a nonprofit where they go surfing together. So they go out in the morning and they pick up trash, they clean up the beach, they do some yoga and then they surf. And I don't know how often they do this, but She's she found a way to combine this passion she has with community, yoga, surfing, and cleaning up the beach. And it's such a simple, you know, she started it just with the people around her. And so there are little things we can do like that. It's really exciting, you know, when I see other people doing it. And I was always pretty scared to do it until we did it this one time with the kids. And then I was like, this is fun. <laughs> do this more often. So many creative ideas. I love that. I love how, again, you can use your creativity and your problem solving and apply it to something like caring for the environment. And you can combine all your different passions and skills, like the story, the the surfing and the yoga and the trash cleanup. And I love that you, that you made it a treasure hunt with your kids. I want to do that. I'm like, okay, I need to look for, I'm going to go have, a, I mean, I'm just a big kid, but like, I want to have a, tra- exactly. have a trash treasure hunt cleanup. But I'm, I'm actually interested in how do you teach your kids about the environment and about caring for the environment and like you know there's this whole next generation that's coming up now and you know in a lot of the documentaries they sort of talk about that as well like leaving it to the generations after us they're going to really probably be seeing a lot of the long-term ramifications of the damage that we've been causing to the earth and to the climate over years and years how do we start to really educate our kids and the next generation and and young people to kind of rise up and care about it yeah you know I will say that I have noticed that kids do seem to kind of automatically care about it if their parents or other adults in their lives are caring about it because they they pick up on it so I think Number one, you kind of just end up being an example of it. If you, if you yourself, are actively looking for ways to to have a more conscious lifestyle, um, kids around you get to see that. I think some of the things that we do, there's so many ideas out there, but you can, you know, obviously taking them to volunteer. So, like the the example I just gave, I think that volunteering at actual events is 10 times more exciting for kids than it is for adults. And so I think that alone is something that gets them excited. You know, I, some little things like I would take my kids with me to our local shelter. And I mean, you have to ask the shelter if they allow this, but they could toss treats in 
to the dogs. And, you know, so we would just go up and down the rows and say hi and, you know, just kind of bring love into the shelter and, and toss treats is an idea. On a completely different note, like teaching your kids to mend clothing or take care of their clothing. Like, does it need to be washed every time, you know, hanging dry, teaching them how to mend once they're old enough. A woman who came on my show, um, she was talking about how she takes every time that one of her kids pieces of clothing gets stained or hers as well, but you know, it happens a lot with kids. She throws them in a bucket and then, you know, once every couple of months she dyes them all and then they take them out and the kids do the whole process with her. And then it's really exciting because they have a brand new piece of clothing when they take it out because now it's this cool, like indigo blue color or whatever you make it, you know? And so she gets her kids really excited about holding on to clothing and in that way obviously eating i think i think a lot of times the the kids in our lives that that if they're looking up to us they're going to eat what we eat i have a friend who runs a nonprofit that's all about teaching kids how to grow their own little garden and so they are really focused on teaching kids in their community the kids can come out and build their own little planter garden with them and then they're making the vegetables. But if, if, if you have a way to garden or if you have a way to like, we have what sometimes I can't decide if it's ridiculous or not, but it's been working really well in our lives is something called a lettuce grow. And it's, that's the brand and it's a vertical garden that lives on our balcony and it waters itself and you, and so the kids, my kids, like lately, they just go out on the balcony and they take off broccoli and they come in eating it or they go and get other, and it's, you know, it's like, so it, it's kind of working to get those things in their lives. So I think, I do think that most people, I will say that I think the answer to a lot of this problem or this big problem of saving the environment, you know, helping humans and helping animals comes from the creativity inside each of us. And you alluded to that earlier, but I think that people, anyone, if you're thinking about it, you'll come up with a creative solution. And then if there happens to be a child around you, you can share that with them and that's going to influence them as well. And um, the number of chances to do something differently, I mean, they're just, like we talked earlier, they snowball. And so there's so many opportunities, I think, to show and share ideas with kids. And then to your point, they're so creative that they're going to come up with the ideas and they're going to be helping us like hands down. It's really comes down to a lot of it's well, having that curiosity and that willingness to awareness and willingness to change and understand what it is you can do and then at that point like once you've got that it is really just about having a bit of a play and and using your creativity and and exploring and and yeah and sharing it with the people in your life and I I love that because yeah you're right kids really just absorb what's around them and and the, the people the adults in their lives and that's like the best way then they grow up having that that habit and that mindset that then they hopefully then they pass on to their kids and you know yeah that that's stuff. the dream yeah. right that's the dream <laughs> so good yeah right yeah yeah hopefully I'm curious what what do you think like the average person's understanding and knowledge of how to care for the earth 
what are what are the biggest sort of gaps or misconceptions that you come across when you're talking to people in terms of like what what people's mindset is about saving the environment? To me, the the biggest thing is awareness. I think that it's just it's really hard to believe that these problems are as big as we're hearing when you don't see them in your own life. You know, I I don't know what percentage of people in this world physically see these problems every day, but I know that a lot of the people that that I'm around and I'm very, you know, lucky for that don't see these problems, don't physically see them, me included. So I, you know, I, I think that it's very easy to kind of detach and think that this problem's not as bad as what they're saying or someone else will fix it. There's all those people working on all these initiatives and there's all these activists out there that are making everything better. So that's all right. They got it and I don't really need to. So I would say that's the the biggest thing that I see among just this the circles that that I'm in or the conversations that I happen to be in is I think a lot of times it's just it doesn't really seem real and that's why I brought up the documentaries at the beginning because I do th- or you brought up documentaries and I said yes documentaries because I do think that documentaries are one of the strongest ways to reach people who don't really think this is a problem and or they think it's a problem but they think it's going to be solved by everybody who's already focused on it. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. Even even to say that perhaps at some point in my life that I would have had that same mindset, you know, where I think, "Oh, I've I've always been into recycling. I've always I'm taking care of the environment like we're all sweet, you know, but then but yeah, then you see something or you 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 read a story and I think there's like a personal connection that you make to it. And I, and again, I've I've always loved being out in nature and the outdoors and I've always loved animals, but it's it is so interesting how you can just keep going and going for so long without your eyes really ever being opened to it and realizing that your behavior has that direct connection and thinking that oh it's so easy to feel like the problem is so big and I'm not contributing to it and there's also other people out there who are fixing it. The more people keep thinking that, then obviously then nothing's ever going to get solved and, and changed. And I know that's changing a lot now. I know there's a lot more like awareness happening and in, in people I think are finally starting to come around to the, the thought that, oh, hey, actually <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> and they're sort of predicting these massive catastrophes and events and it feels really difficult to imagine that that could be the case right now and again I just think well we're we're just selfish humans sometimes you know and even in just in that sense like fine maybe don't you don't even need to think about all that stuff that could maybe potentially happen or on that grand of a level but just in the very fact of having that self-awareness and just not thinking the ocean is ours to pollute and throw trash into and to overfish into all of those things the earth doesn't just belong to us you know I think that was one of the biggest things that really hit home for me who are we to just think we own it all right you know it's it's interesting that idea of that like humans are at the top and then there's everything else and it's really an interesting concept when you really start thinking about it as 
circular and humans are not any higher than any other animal out there. And you realize that when you start reading research about the personalities of animals and the whales, you mentioned whales earlier, right? Like you start reading about how incredibly smart they are and how they communicate and all of these different things. And you start to realize that no, like there's there's not one above the other. We're all here on an equal playing field. And for this to work, we need to stay in the balance that is natural. And clearly we as humans have like way overshot that balance, right? And, and not, I mean, I guess I don't feel like it's by choice or even fault as much as it, we just didn't realize what we were doing so much. And and I was going to say, until now, there are plenty of researchers who have said this a long time ago, yes. right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, for years and years and years they've many, been saying many years. it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something um, when you were talking made me think of, have you heard of Earth Overshoot Day? Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. So it's an interesting concept that I find pretty powerful. It is the day in the year that we have used up all of the resources that the earth can no longer replenish. So in 2020, on August 22nd, I think, August 22nd was the date, that was the day that we had used up all of the resources that the earth could replenish. So basically from then until the end of the year, it's just a way of like taking that statistic and making it a little more understandable. But that's how much we as humans are over consuming like what's available to us. And I feel like that it feels pretty real, right? When you hear that and you're kind of like, okay, so how can I be someone who's not over consuming? And I think that's, it. it's tough, right? Um, but I do think that my first thought is, you know, conversations with the people around you, finding out like, what, what are you doing? What can I do? Like it just everybody kind of sharing ideas for what can we do that helps us to not overconsume? and food, for instance, so much of it is wasted, right? So is there something we can do to not waste so much food, whether we grow our own, whether we pool with our neighbors and share surplus that someone has, you know, whether we purchase from farmers markets instead of the grocery store, there's all these different ideas that that can try to help. And then of course, every other part of our life, we can think about not over consuming, right? On our clothing and our makeup and <laughs> everything that we feel like we need so much of. Exactly. And again, really coming back to it being about that tensionality in our lives and just stopping for a second to consider <laughs> a different choice and starting to become more aware of that in our day-to-day lives. I agree with the, the food waste thing. I actually remember when I came across, when I started making that connection last year and how food waste can actually contribute to emissions. And I remember doing a bunch of research. And I was like, oh my gosh, I waste so much food. And I started, this is my, this is my little bit of creative problem solving. I had done a bunch of research and found out that our local council area in Melbourne was going to start providing green waste, like food waste bins. They weren't providing them to residential apartment buildings of like over a certain number of units. However, my building was on a street with like a couple of houses. So every Sunday they would put their bins out 
that I had collected all of my food waste throughout the week in a container that I kept in the fridge so it wouldn't smell and nothing would get into it. And every Sunday when they put their bins out, I'd see peek over the balcony and the green lid bin was down there and I'd take my waste and I would dump it in their bin in their food waste bin like a bit extreme but I don't know I just (laughs) felt like okay well maybe my little bit of waste isn't contributing on the grand scheme of things but again it's that it's shifting that mindset of like okay well I can either think that my little bit doesn't make a difference or my little bit does make a difference and yeah, maybe I'm just one little person in the grand scheme of the world of like billions of people and food waste and pollution. But like I can sh- certainly start to do something, <laughs> you know, that that's one less little piece of waste that's out there and actually hopefully can get reused in the right way. That's so awesome. That's my little. <laughs> that's so cool. I really do think that the average person cares if if they know what there is to care about and if there's an option and and those are the kind of things that like excite me are those simple little options that we can do or like us going to the river or you know it's like when someone when someone does something that makes it easy for us that just makes it so much easier for everybody to get on board right so yeah, it's it's really exciting. At some point earlier talking about just the the average person like what they could do and I was just thinking about a lot of it, so much of it too, I think is being brave enough that if you have a passion and you have an idea, trying to figure out who you can get that idea to that that could make it become something more, you know, whether it's you and talking to everybody around you or it's contacting your city council member or whatever. I do think that there's also this level of intimidation and overwhelm that if you start sharing your idea out, you may be surprised at how other people pick it up, you know, and, and help you make it happen and that's exciting too when people do come up with these ideas and make them happen. Yeah, definitely. And again, I love seeing that creativity. It's like, well, I even think about because I used to work in the tech industry and and it was a designer, you know, for many years. And I'm like, gosh, there's actually so many solutions available, ways to use technology even to maybe help people figure out what they can do in a simple way or even connect them with local resources about what you can recycle and what you can't and where you can take certain recyclables and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, there's so many resources, so many more resources available to us right now, which is so exciting. Yeah, exactly. And they just keep growing, right? More and more, Mm -hmm. more and more resources. You shared a couple of really great resources already and link to everything in the show notes. Uh, Is there anything else in terms of resources that you want to talk about or share right now that could be good references for people if they're interested in learning what they can do or even maybe to generate some ideas? Well, you know, if someone is really brand new to this, they could try one of our resources, which is our five-day conscious lifestyle challenge. And that's like a quick one thing per day that you can try in a totally different part of your life. And then the goal is by the end of that, you found one area that you want to dig into more and you feel like could stick with you. So that's an option. That's at fouranimalsforearth.com slash lifestyle challenge. Another thing that I really love, and this because this is so simple, is when it comes to like petitions and lobbying the government and Congress 
people, which I am hoping this applies to you as well because of being in Australia. So I guess you'll have to check this and make sure. But the Nature Conservancy, which I do know is all around the world, the Nature Conservancy on their website, they have just a list of current petitions that they have going on. And you can jump on there and just sign them or send letters to your Congress people for initiatives that you believe in. And to me, that's one of the most simple things to do. And when there's enough petitions, the biggest changes that we see happen. So Nature Conservancy does that. The National Resource Defense Council does that, but I'm pretty sure that one would be just United States-based. So maybe even for your show notes, I could look for some in Australia too, because I'm sure you have something similar. Yeah, I think there are some, and I I actually don't know any of the top of my head either. And a lot of the petitions that I've come across or I've signed have been ones that are probably more global organizations as well, or they're like things that are... Yeah, that would affect, obviously, on a, on a global scale. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned global, which pops another idea into my head, which is the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals. So I don't know if you've heard of those or if listeners have, but in 2000 and. 15, um, a group got together, the United Nations (laughs) got together and said, okay, by 2030, we have 17 different goals. And the goals hit on all different aspects of life and they're meant to be worldwide. And so what someone, I can give you a link to like a website where you can see all 17 and you can see a simple idea that you can try in your life. To, to line up with whatever goal speaks to you. And I something I love about that is just how broad it is so that it really does try to hit on everyone in the world being able to pick one of those and, you know, line up to it. So that's kind of a cool, a cool global thing. That's really good. Yeah. I think anything that really helps because it is, it's as we've talked about, it's such a massive, massive issue and it affects, it's so complicated, interconnected. So anything I think that can simplify that or or bring it down to someone's level and make it relatable. So to where, again, where to where I can go, oh, hey, I can recycle my plastics or I can recycle my food waste or I can make, uh, you know, reuse my clothing. Yeah, it's just finding a way to really bring it that down, simplify going, right, that is something I can do that feels very tangible, very actionable. And it's connected to the bigger picture. And I don't necessarily always, I don't have to think about all of that stuff because it is big and overwhelming, but acknowledging it and being aware of it and then going, right, okay, that's what this means for me. So as we've said, you were saying it's awareness and, and that disconnect between the bigger the bigger issues and and how it relates to me and what I can do so yeah I I was just thinking about how yeah I mean that's that is why we created for animals for earth you know is to just try to make those things simple and relatable so that you don't you can take your focus off of the big huge impossible problem for a while and just kind of narrow in on okay what works in my life let me focus there Oh, I'm a big fan of your work, Brandy. So good. And before we wrap up today, what is bringing you joy right now? Um, so, well, let me say thank you just for even saying that you were a fan of <laughs> my work because, I mean, that just, it, it warms my heart and it really, really makes me excited and bringing me joy. I will say 
this this past week my dogs have been um i have i have two dogs and one of them is 13 and he has been sick from eating something at the um at the dog sitter's house so we were gone for a bit he ate something he shouldn't have been eating which is the story of this dog's life and he's been he's been sick and it's been scary and he got sick two mornings ago and then was like back to his old self and brought me a tennis ball to play fetch, which I haven't seen happen for probably a good solid five years. (laughs) And that in and of itself, it just brought me so much joy and it's continuing to bring me joy just to watch him being happy and moving around freely. And, um, and then I have a second dog and he's, he's gotten the benefit because the older one is willing to play right now. I mean, he's just like, he's got this like spunk in his step. So it's, it brings me joy to watch him happy and joyful. So that's, that's happening right now in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great dogs. Oh, Beautiful. Oh, Brandy, I could probably talk to you all day about all things environment and animals and change. And oh, it's been so much fun talking to you. I agree. You know, <laughs> I get so much inspiration from conversations and even just talking with you right now. I mean, it's turned my day around. Like I'm just, I'm excited Yay. again about all of this. So <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Sometimes you lose your excitement. And so I'm really, I'm really thankful for being here, being able to talk to you and, um, to have this like new excitement again in me too. It's hard work. You're kind of like in it for the for the long haul. These aren't like immediate changes that we're talking about happening and, and changing people's mindsets and lifestyles. You unfortunately we have no control over that. It's up it's up to each individual person. So yay, I'm glad if you're feeling feeling the spark and hopefully other people hearing this episode and feeling excited and encouraged and like, oh maybe there's a creative idea that I can put into action and start looking at something in their own lives. So at the, at the very least that this episode has inspired that, then I think we've done our job, Brandy. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, that would be amazing. I hope that if any of your listeners are doing that, I hope they will come back and tell yes. us because, yes. yeah, how exciting to think that some new ideas mm, could come out of this conversation. Would be amazing. Yes. Amazing. Please do. It would. Oh, all it right. Really yes, would. please let us know. All of the info in the show notes. So many good links and resources from today. Thank you so much, Brandy. So, so fun. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, that was such a fun conversation. Be sure to head over to the show notes page. There's heaps of resources and links there that you can check out everything that we discussed in today's episode. You can find it at heatherashleybaker.com slash podcast slash Brandy. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to get email updates so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes of In Between drop. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do two things. Head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends and family. Two small actions that have a huge impact so that others can find and hear this podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Until next week, friends.